Shall we just pray before we begin? Father God, we just come to now, come to you now and just praise you. You're a wonderful God. We are so in awe of what you've done for us. The wonderful gift of your Son. The Son whom very often we were not seeking, but you came into our lives. You transformed us. You've set us apart. That we are now your children and one day we're going home. One day we're going to see Jesus and we're going to be like him in glory. Wonderful. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for these things. And we just ask that thy, thy spirit would just be evident amongst us even now. You would come and just minister to our hearts. For them that need to be encouraged, that you would encourage them. For them that need to be lifted up, you would do so even now. For them that need to be rebuked, that a word of rebuke given by thy spirit, Lord, would be apparent. For whatever our needs are this very day, that you would just come near us, meet our needs, help us to worship you and to see Jesus for who he truly is, the wonderful Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's a... A very, uh, it's a great joy for us to come amongst and minister to you this day my, uh, with myself and my family this time. So we do thank you for the invite. And you didn't really need to go to all the trouble of food for us as well. It's just... <laughs> so you have to do that next time as well, mate. <laughs> um, if you turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 2. I thought Tom was actually reading my notes this morning. <laughs> um, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was funny because uh, I was just thinking of asking uh, the musicians, could they sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? And I was thinking, oh, perhaps they won't have the music, and oh, I don't want to create a scene. And, and then they sing it, so that's good. So, excellent. So uh, Luke chapter 2, in fact, I was going to preach something else today, and um, I heard a sermon uh, by another chap preaching, and it inspired this sermon. So sometimes preachers get inspiration from other preachers as well. So, um, so I'm going to preach this today, and trust that God would bless it to us. So Luke chapter 2, and reading from verse 22 to 35. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, this is Mary, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, 
a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Amen. Now then, I want to speak really today on a, a theme, a theme of Christmas and um, the expectations around Christmas really. Um, and what is Christmas? Very often we get all excited as the, the Christmas season approaches. Um, there's all that, the build-up. And the build-up seems to last longer and longer each year, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of like uh, some people are even putting up their decorations in October and things now. And the shops are starting to plan their Christmases after the, the summer holidays. And you think, whoa, you know, what's going on? Um, but these expectations, they build up, don't they? And for children, I can't imagine what it must be like these days, that longer and longer that expectation is that you have to wait for these gifts. And um, it is very often that expectation is only very fleeting, isn't it? It's, it's over in a whisper. Let me just check the time. So, uh, right, okay, quarter to 12. So Tom said I got over an half, so, okay. Um, <laughs> so, but the, that expectation is soon over, really. Uh, the, the day has arrived, and it, it is like the melting snow that comes sometimes, isn't it? it? It's here, and then it just fades and fades and fades, and it's gone. And come January, it is all forgotten about, and then we're... Uh, so frustrated by the cold, we're thinking of our summer holidays then, oh, want to get some sun and some heat. And, you know, the, the presents are unwrapped, uh, the gifts have been given, you know, paper is, is no longer thrown away, it's recycled. So all that is done with. And, you know, that lime green scarf that you receive from Aunt Mabel is neatly put in the drawer upstairs alongside that bright orange one that she gave you last year. And it is there, ready to be regifted to some unsuspecting person next Christmas. But the, the, tree, <laughs> the tree is taken down and... Um, the, the lights are removed and the pine needles are all hoovered up and right behind the sofa and everywhere. You're still finding them in the summer actually, but, but they take them down. All the bags and boxes are put away and everything of Christmas is starting to disappear. Um, those unwanted presents that you've received, which those thoughtful family members have put in those receipts so that you can take back and exchange. So the unwanted presents are taken back and everything of Christmas is almost done. The Christmas sales, are, uh, you've, in, you've spent that money that you've received for Christmas, they are now done and everything of Christmas is now gone. It is over. Christmas has ended. All that expectation is gone. And Christmas has come and gone for another year. 
And that is a, a sad fact of life, I suppose, that joy is fleeting, isn't it? It's, uh, it is a time where we can celebrate, but it is fleeting. But for the born-again believer, for the born-again Christian, Christmas is every day of the year. And that is what I want to speak on today, Christmas every day. What is Christmas? Well, it is not the Western definition, is it? Christmas is so far removed from what Christmas truly is and is about. And forget the historical nature of when Christ's birth uh, should be. Uh, we celebrated December the 25th. Forget the fact that um, we uh, early in the church it took a pagan festival and we wanted to remove that and celebrate something worthwhile. Forget all that. If it was important that we knew the exact date then the Holy Spirit would have allowed that and recorded that. It is not important when it was. It's not a season of the year either. It's, it's not about the trees and the tinsel and the toys. It's not about the lights. It is not about the, uh, the turkey and the cranberry sauce and, and all those lovely vegetables that, you, that some of us like and some of us don't like. Um, I don't like <laughs> as my wife can testify to. Um, it's not about these things. It's not about gifts uh, given and received. It's not about stuffing ourselves and um, filling ourselves up so much that we can't move and we just plonk ourselves in front of the seti and then watch another repeat of Only Fools and Horses for another year. It's not about these things. Uh, it's nothing wrong with enjoying it, as Tom mentioned. Nothing in, wrong with that at all. As long as we're enjoying a festive period, but our thoughts are truly on the real reason for the season. But do you, do you even care today? Do you even care that perhaps your definition of Christmas is wrong? I don't know, perhaps most of you uh, probably uh, are celebrating it for the right reasons, but perhaps there's someone or several people today that uh, are celebrating Christmas and they don't even care that they are celebrating it and the historical reasons for that uh, are not right, perhaps, in their own minds. So what is the biblical definition? Well, it is about a lamb being born. A lamb being born. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? Tell me, what did he say? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is about a lamb. It is about this God stepping out of eternity and into human history. That is what it's about. It is not the secular notion of Christmas. It is about a lamb promised, a lamb prepared and a lamb provided. It is the sole focus of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have in view. Christmas is about God coming to us full stop. And we see the subtlety of Satan. We see how he has got, uh, got the Western world pretty much in his grasp, really, with the definition of Christmas that is so far removed from what the true Christmas is. It's not surprising, is it, that uh, 
Santa is an anagram of Satan. Not surprised. Um, not surprising at all. It's about God becoming one of us. The God who lives outside of time. This God is timeless. He is not restricted by time. Indeed, time is only invented when we come to uh, Genesis 1 and we see the creation. And we see God in his wonderful works creating everything there is to see. He is inventing time. Why does he do it? Why does he do? uh, Why doesn't he create? He is the almighty. He is the all powerful. And this is the part of the sermon I was going to bring, but I'll bring it again next time perhaps. Why does he create everything? Why does he do it in a process? Why doesn't he? He is the almighty. There is no limit to his power. He could have created everything, bang, and it would have been there. Don't think that God is lesser of a God or or he was not powerful enough to do that. He could have. What he is doing in Genesis 1 is he's creating time. He is creating time. And then there was evening and there was morning the second day. And then there was evening and there was morning. So uh, all those people that believe in uh, long age um, creation or whatever and evolution... No, Uh, the biblical day in Genesis is 24-hour day because there is evening and there is morning. There is evening and there is morning. It can't be any more uh, conclusive and concise than that. God created all these things and he does it so wonderfully. But God is timeless. He is outside of time. He is not restricted by time in any way at all. Has no bearing on him whatsoever. And that is who we are talking about today. This timeless God. And he comes and he restricts himself to a human existence. That is the wonder of the incarnation in all this. How else? How else? How else could this eternal God come into the world and die upon a cross? He couldn't do it as God. He couldn't do it as God. He couldn't do it unless he had a human nature as well. It would be impossible for God to die upon a cross without a human nature as well. He is perfectly human. He is the God-man. Perfectly God and perfectly man. Fully God and fully man. So he steps into time. He becomes what I am that I might become what he is. That is what he is. That is what we are becoming. If we are children of God, we are becoming like him. And when we see him, we will be like him. We will not be God, but we will be like him. We will be immortal beings, children of his, adopted, (coughs) wonderfully adopted by him. And for those of you that have been in broken families or have had difficult uh, child, being brought up as a child, perhaps difficult lives, The fact that we have someone that has adopted us eternally and eternally begotten. It's incredible, incredible. So that's what Christmas is about then. It's about Jesus' incarnation. Christmas is also about his birth. He was born under the law, Galatians 4, 4 5 tells us. He was born under the law, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Isn't that wonderful? 
That's why he was born. Not for any purpose other than the fact that he is redeeming people. He's redeeming children. He's redeeming his family and bringing them together. And he's born under the law. And when Jesus was eight days, eight days old, he was circumcised. Now in verse 21 of 2 it says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You see, that was, pres- that was prescribed by the Levitical, Levitical law, that he had to be circumcised. So to become our saviour, he had to become like one of us. To be born fully man, yet mysteriously fully God, with that two natures in him. The, the theologians call it the hypostatic union, where we have uh, Christ who is fully God, yet fully man. And those natures are in him. And those ma- natures are not mixed. They are unique in him. And he does not change. He is like that even today. Even in heaven as he sits at the, uh, the right hand of the Father in glory. He is fully God and fully man. He has not changed. He has not become anything different. He is now unique. He is always unique. But there we are, we see him circumcised. Mysteriously, he comes to fulfill the law. It was required of the law. And Jesus comes in that way. Mary was also subject to the law. Mary was not sinless or divine. She was impure. God's holy word tells us, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't say for all have sinned except Mary. For all have sinned. So Mary, Mary is a sinner, was a sinner. Everyone needed to be cleansed and even Mary needed to be cleansed. And after 40 days, Mary reached the end of her purification. Luke 2.22 says, Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So there was a purification process that she had to go through because the womb had been opened um, and she was impure as far as the holy law was concerned. So she needed to be purified. And whenever a woman gave birth, um, she could not go inside the temple precincts uh, for 40 days. So now really we have after the end of 40 days, so it's the 40, probably the 41st day, and she could only pass through the court of the Gentiles. And that is likely where she probably met Simeon. Only after 40 days of a purification, as Leviticus 12, 6 tells us, when the days in the law, when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering. Isn't that interesting? And a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This was to atone for Mary's uncleanness, her impurity, to atone for her defilement. You see, this is where Rome has got it completely wrong in ascribing to Mary something that she is not. Ascribing deity to her when she is not. She's she's blessed, yes. She was blessed to have the Lord Jesus Christ. Let let us not um, say anything other than that because scripture says that she was. But she's not sinless. We can be blessed without being sinless. 
We can be sinless without being blessed. So then, she is being purified and she is bringing this, these offerings at this time. But there is a difference between Mary and Jesus in the, type, in the temple. Mary needed to fulfill the requirements of the ritual law. She needed to do that. She was sinful. She needed to subject herself to these things. But Christ went to fulfill the ritual law, to fulfill prophecy, not for any sin in him, not that there would be any sin in him in his lifetime. So he is fulfilling prophecy and he was, as Galatians says, in obedience to God the Father. He was born under the law. He subjected himself to the law. He subjected himself, even though he was sinless. So Christ then went through the ritual law to fulfill this. He submitted it on his own behalf, so that this lamb would be without blemish, without spot. This lamb that is presented perfectly to God, the perfect offering, this wonderful lamb of God, Blessed of God. Christmas is about a meeting. It's about meeting the eternal God. And the importance, really, we see, if we'd have read further, we would have read about Anna, also the widow, for 80-something odd years, wasn't it? Coming into the house of God. And Simeon is there in the house of God. Now he, he had been promised, hadn't he, that he would uh, not die before he saw the Lord's anointed, before he saw the Messiah, before he saw the Saviour. And there he is expectantly in the temple. And Anna coming in to offer her praise. She's come into the temple. And the importance of coming to God's house. Joseph, Mary and the baby Jesus went to the house of God. Incredibly, God was accompanying them. Joseph and Mary, God was accompanying them. So Simeon and Anna also knew of this importance. They knew it was needful to make their way to the house of God. They knew it was needful. Let me tell you something today, that it doesn't have to be Christmas just to come to the house of God. It shouldn't be that uh, religiousness that uh, only provokes us to attend a place of worship, perhaps on Christmas, perhaps on Easter, perhaps Mother's Day or whatever. There is not uh, that sort of need for a Christian. There are seasonal visitors. I don't know if there are any amongst, amongst us today, but there are those that will only come at certain times certain seasons uh, out of whatever need there is there is an Anglican church near us and um, on Christmas Eve the church is absolutely packed with seasonal believers with seasonal Christians <coughs> they come just for these special occasions why I don't know perhaps there is something within them that they uh, feel that they need to get a part of this Christmas spirit and 
feel that they do the church thing and just they feel some sort of empathy with the Christian faith and, and want to feel as though they're, they're doing something and uh, partaking in it and perhaps even catching a glimpse of the true reason for the season. But they can be found in all churches, these seasonal believers. Well, if that's you, then you don't have to wait for Christmas to come to the house of God. And we are in the house of God. This is the house of God. This is the body of Christ. This is where God's presence promises to be with us. So this no longer is a scout hut for this morning. It is a place of worship for the living God. Don't have to wait for Christmas, for tradition, or if you're forced. If you are a child of God today, you will delight to come to the house of God. It is the place that you feel that you have fellowship, the place that you feel God can speak to you, the place where you want to be in case you miss something. Now, I've been reading some of the posts on Facebook that have been going round, and I know things have been going on in this church. I know there's been a presence on occasion that has been a great blessing to many people in this church. I know God's presence has manifested himself by his Holy Spirit in this place. So you ought to be here when it's, your, when it's not your time to serve. When you're not obligated by a church rota. You ought to be here. Even if you are not taking part in the service, you ought to be in the house of God. You ought to come to the house of God. And Simeon and Anna knew the importance of being in the house of God. Amen? Amen. You see, the best place to be when we're going through difficult times is in the house of God. The time when we don't really want to come, when we are really feeling ill, or we really feel that there are so many things in our lives right now and we just don't want to go to church, are the best times to come. Because that is the time when God can have his hand upon us. That is the time when God can lift those burdens off our minds, those weights off our shoulders. That is the time he can take those things away, take those problems away. You know, we might be concerned about what is going to happen next week, about a situation we're going to face on Monday morning, about difficulties in our lives, about great problems in our lives. Well, if we are in the house of God, we can be assured perhaps that God is even working on those solutions even before we even arrive at them next week because we are faithful and we've come to worship him we are showing him we want his help we want to go in his strength and when we do that then he is at work in the lives and the hearts of those people that are perhaps causing us problems he is at work in those hearts in the difficulties in those problems that we will face in that next week he is resolving all those things and perhaps we face them, they're not as fearful as we thought they were going to be. Perhaps those uh, tests and checks that come through and we realize there is no problem at all. It's because God has gone before us like he promised he would do. But if, what, what, what are we saying to God when we are 
filled our lives with uh, problems and we are absent from his house. What are we saying to God there? Oh, uh, I I don't need you. I'm going to try and work through this on my own. I don't need to be with God's people. How do you think we get encouraged? How do you think we get strengthened? How do you think we take our minds off our own problems and just lift them to him? And then when we come back down to earth, yes, when we come back down to earth and we realize those problems are not as great as we thought they were going to be anyway because he is far greater than all our problems. The most likely place place to meet God is in his house. Yes. Yes, he is always with us. He says, doesn't he? Lo, I am always with you, even to the end. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, he says that. But there is something about being in God's presence, in God's house, with God's people. There is a power that isn't available when we're on our own. Yes, God can do wonderful things. But you imagine all of God's children coming together. There is a power. There is an electricity. There is the Holy Spirit coming in power. So the importance of being in God's house then. Don't be a seasonal visitor. And they bring Jesus into his father's house. Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. Now by verse 22, he's just 40 days old or 41st day probably. He's not two months old. He is not walking. He is not talking. He has subjected himself to these things. And that is, uh, if you ever get into an argument or a conversation about um, with a Muslim perhaps, and they say, well, well, look, um, Jesus, he, he increased in learning. How can he be God? He, he had to increase in learning. How can he be God? You know, and they, put, they like to pull out those, those scriptures there because they do not have an understanding of this doctrine of the hypostatic union. The fact that he is fully man, yet fully God. The fact that he chose chose very often to not be in that divine nature as such, not to uh, know all these things. He chose to limit himself. How could he suffer in pain upon a cross if he was perfectly God? He couldn't. So in the divine nature and the human nature that is within Jesus Christ, he totally limited himself and said, no, I will suffer this in the human nature. And he had to do that, didn't he? Because if he didn't do that, how could he relate to us? How could he relate to us when, when we are tempted? He was tempted. In the human. In the human. In the human nature. How could he relate otherwise? He couldn't. So, in the human nature, he was thirsty. He was hungry. He cried. He wept. He sobbed at times. He felt pain. And he can only do that because of this hypostatic union. The fact that he is fully God and fully man. And so when it says he increased in learning, of course he did. Because he restricted himself most of the time to that nature. The human nature. So then he is not walking. He's not talking. He's just a newborn baby. Is that how you picture Jesus Christ today? This newborn baby. This baby just lying in a manger. Lying in a crib. The baby Jesus. This helpless baby. 
tender and mild laying in the straw. Is that how you picture him? This 40-day-year-old child. Is that how you picture him? A lot of the world pictures him exactly like that today. Uh, This helpless babe lying in this manger. This 40-day-year-old child. But you know something? The wonderful thing about this is that child is not some 40-day-old child. In fact, he is the ancient of days. The ancient of days. Psalm 90 verse 2 tells us, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And that is Christ. He is the one that is created. He is the creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ancient of days. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He's 40 days old and yet he's older than his mother. Isn't that incredible? He's 40 days old, but he's the everlasting being that has already been revealed. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That prophecy is so specific, so specific, that a son would be born who would be called Mighty God. So God will come in the flesh, and yet he'd be everlasting Father from eternity. It's so, so explicit. He is the Ancient of Days. Jesus didn't come into existence at Bethlehem. He's the eternal Son of God. Now picture the incarnation for a moment. How did Mary feel? Perhaps this has gone off a little bit, but how did she feel as she looks down into heaven? She is looking down into the eyes of the eternal God. How did she feel looking down into the eyes of Jesus, the one who had created all things? How much of an understanding did she have? She pondered these things, we know. Jesus is not some ordinary boy born in Bethlehem. He is the infinite, self-sufficient, holy, almighty God. He lives in unapproachable light, which the vastness of the heavens cannot even contain. That is Jesus. Such is the immensity, the immensity of his greatness and of his being. His wonder. Do you know the miracle of this birth? And it is a miracle that he was born of a virgin. But that is not a miracle really. That was a miraculous birth, yes. But the miracle, as far as I can see, is the fact that this God restricted himself and clothed himself with the flesh of a baby. That is beyond understanding because God cannot be contained. He is self-sufficient. There was a time when heaven didn't exist. But God eternally did exist. God created it. There was a time when there were no angels. Only God is from eternity. So there is a time when nothing existed 
God was fully self-sufficient in every aspect. God was fully content in the triune, in the trinity. Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit, fully content. And there was nothing except God. And he was perfectly happy. Perfectly happy. And nothing There are no dimensions in creation that can contain God. And the miracle, the miracle is he contains himself in the child. All the fullness of the Godhead in that baby. That is the miracle. That is the incredible thing about this. As Charles Wesley so very eloquently puts it, Christ by heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold he come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Then this is it. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And because he dwelt among us. Because he came to save us from our sin. It means Christmas is available to us every day. Every day that he gives us on this earth. Christmas is available to us. It is the birth of a son. It is the, the salvation of God coming into the world. And that salvation is available today. So you can enjoy Christmas today as well. The gift of salvation. And is the greatest gift of all. This gift won't be put upstairs in the drawer next to Mabel's green scarf. This gift is the most precious of all gifts. That will never lose its luster. You'll never get bored of it. If you, if you notice children, um, they'll play with something for a few hours on Christmas Day and then uh, Boxing Day, it'll, it'll be forgotten about. Um, they'll leave most of their toys behind. It loses their luster. The excitement is really opening that present. and We may as well just wrap up empty boxes and, and they'll be happy and content with that, I think. But Jesus Christ, he doesn't lose his luster. Children won't be very pleased, of course. <laughs> but um, Jesus Christ doesn't lose his luster. We'll never grow tired of him. We'll never grow bored with him. And once you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know it is the most wonderful thing. It is the thing that you always go back to time and time again as the greatest thing you could ever have received in your life. The greatest thing, you know, you see these people on television saying, oh, um, what does this mean to you? Oh, it means the world to me if I get through to the semifinals of this. So it means the world to me if we can do and win that. And, and you think, oh, really? It means the world to you? Well, Jesus Christ means the world to us. Because this is the most wonderful, we know it's the most wonderful escape we could have ever had. That we would go into a lost eternity. That we would go into hellfires and we deserve to go there. And yet so wonderfully, wonderfully saved by the Lord Jesus Christ in his time, in his appointed time. So that gift is so precious. This gift, this Lamb of God, 
that takes away the sin of the world is the greatest gift anybody could ever have. And it doesn't lose his luster one bit. Will your Christmas joy be gone in January this year and next year? Is it going to be that kind of a Christmas for you that, you know, once the, the chocolate and the lights have gone, and is it all over for you? And then do you just start looking at other seasons and trying to find some sort of uh, joy out of other seasons and life? Are you just kind of uh, ambling from, from one thing to the next? Trying to find some peace in this world. Trying to find that, that hope. Trying to find your purpose and your meaning. It is in that babe that came into this world to die upon a cross. It is in him and him alone, the Prince of Peace. He's the only one that can give us that gift of peace. This triune God, this wonderful God. You know, there's a, a song by an old 70s uh, uh, pop band called I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. I'm sure a lot of the older ones know it. Where Christmas can be every day for the believer. Because that gift has come into this world. And we never lose that gift. We never give that gift back. We never want to give that gift back. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got that present We've opened that present, we've unwrapped that present, and we've seen the beauty and the wonder and the splendor that is Jesus Christ. We have that gift permanently with us. If you wish it could be Christmas every day, wish no more. Because in Jesus Christ it is every day. We can celebrate him every day until he comes. And as was rightly pointed out today, he came the first time. To be this suffering servant. And the Jews, they stumble over this because they, they see the, the prophetic in the Old Testament. And they see this glorious king who will reign. And they think, no, but why? No, when the, the Messiah comes, he will be this glorious one on the throne of David. They miss the fact that he was coming twice. They missed the fact that he had to be the suffering servant first time. He had to deal with the issue of sin first before he could establish his kingdom reign with his kingdom people. So Christmas, what is it? It's not about the trees, the tinsel and the toys. It is about the Lamb of God who comes to take the sin of the world away. Do you know that Lamb of God today? Do you want your, or do you even recognize your Christmases? Have I described your Christmases from this ambling through these things, just drifting through celebrations, do you want to have that gift today? Because you can have this wonderful gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is to invite him. All you have to do is repent, the Bible says, and turn to him. Tell him that you're sorry for your sin. And ask him to forgive you and come into your life. Ask him to be Lord of your life and to walk with you. And he will do that. 
He will do that. Shall we pray? Lord God, we just thank you and praise you that you are the, you are the reason for the season. That you are the only triune, wonderful God. That Lord, you came into this world not so that we could forget about your ministry or your life. Not so that we could absorb ourselves with everything of the flesh. Not so that we could absorb ourselves with light and tinsels and trees and toys and food and turkey. But you came into this world to die for us upon a cross. You came as the greatest gift of all. And we thank you for that and we praise you for that. And this day, Lord, we would just ask if there are any amongst our number this day that have not really celebrated a true Christmas. Oh, they may have had the trappings, they may have had the presents and the tree. They may have gone through the motions each and every Christmas thus far. But they never tasted a true Christmas of sins forgiven. Lord, I pray even now that you would speak to them by your Holy Spirit. In the quietness of their own heart, even now, that your Spirit would just be ministering to them. And offering, we pray, that wonderful gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.